Conversations on Economic Opportunity, produced by Ann Arbor Spark. Ann Arbor Spark is a public private academic partnership that's creating economic activity and prosperity in the Ann Arbor region. Innovative businesses and leaders are what make Ann Arbor a destination for startups and growing global businesses. By sharing their stories, they share what makes this region stand out for the exceptional schools, abundant parks, amazing community services that all contribute to our quality of life. Conversations on economic opportunity are a way to spotlight those who are helping this region thrive. Joining me today is Ed Olson, founder and CEO of May Mobility. Thanks for coming in today and thank you. Let us have a chat. Well, uh, let's just start out right at the beginning. Ed, tell us about May Mobility, uh, what you're about, what, what you're what you're doing, and uh, what you want people to know. Well, May Mobility is a local startup. We're right here in Ann Arbor, and we build and deploy fleets of autonomous vehicles. So tell us a little bit more about that. So when you say you build fleets of autonomous vehicles, describe what that means. Yeah, so this really came out of of work that I was doing when I was at Toyota and before that at Ford, uh, try, where, where we were trying to build vehicles for the Pittsburghs of the world, you know, fully autonomous level five, uh, which was really exciting and great. It's a great problem. The market is huge, but the technological path is really long, decades away from being able to build a, an autonomous car that can do everything that a human driver can do. And so May Mobility is really a reaction to that. Okay. What can we do to build fleets of vehicles now get them out into the world and start to learn from that real world operation. What are, okay, so what would be some applications where a fleet uh, could be uh, deployed? Um, what, what kinds of, of uh, transportation problems would that would it solve? We're looking at short routes, roughly two miles or less, in compact communities, maybe 10 square miles or less. So central business districts, we could imagine using our vehicles up and down State and Liberty and Main Street. That'd be a good fit for our technology. Also, enterprise campuses, especially the large, sprawling campuses where you've got acres upon acres of buildings and people moving to and fro. We're also really excited about the emerging, emerging trend towards live-work-play communities where you've got residential, shopping, and employment all within tight clusters. We think those are environments, all three of those are environments where where mass transit is not a great solution, and where even Uber and things like that are sometimes a little too heady. So we like those short routes. So let's, let's uh, drill down on that a little bit. So um, you know, many of the OEMs are, as you described, working on sort of getting to level five uh, types of, of products. If I understand correctly, if you could help the audience visualize, you're really talking about um, a specialized vehicle. Do I have that right? They're street legal cars. Okay. They they don't look like regular cars because they are, uh, they've got six six doors in them. They they seat six passengers. They're they're what's called a low speed electric vehicle. So they're all electric, but they have a maximum speed of twenty five miles per hour by federal law. They're allowed on roads with speed limits up to thirty five miles per hour. So that actually makes our our sandbox most of Ann Arbor. There's only mm -hmm. a few roads forty miles an hour and up where we wouldn't be allowed to operate. Now, does the, the, that design, uh, does it lend itself to a lighter weight vehicle? Is it, is it, I mean, in comparison to what someone might visualize as a car on the street, it's got the six doors, as you described, it's electrified. What else, how else would you characterize the vehicle? Cute. 
That's that's what most people say when they see the vehicle. It it doesn't look like a regular vehicle. You can tell when you're looking at it that you're you're looking at some something, right? So it, it's it's not somebody's car. It's a transportation solution of some sort. It's also a, a it really is a fun looking vehicle. It's got a, a a sunroof all the way across the top. So when you get in it, you've got an expansive view of the city. It's really designed around creating a a wonderful way to move around a, a central business district, for okay. example. So the user interface is, is what's what's the the business model that you have for um, the vehicle deployment? How riders or users would would engage with it? Our first customers are all looking at circulator routes. So they are operating existing bus lines, for example, shuttle services from an office building to a remote parking site. Okay. Uh, that, that works great for us. We just run in a circle, and we mm-hmm. just keep doing that over and over again until it's time to recharge the vehicle. Our vehicles can also be summoned with an iPhone app, uh, like an Uber car, on demand. And they can also integrate into a larger logistics system. So we've talked to people about exporting our API so that if they want to have programmatic control of the vehicles, send a vehicle at 12.23 p.m. to this location, we can do that. Okay. Very good. Okay, well, it sounds like your background uh, has made you well-suited for uh, this opportunity. Um, tell us a little bit more about where you've worked before and how you got into this uh, particular opportunity. My background goes back to about 2006, 2005. I was a PhD student at MIT at the time, and DARPA had just announced the third of their DARPA Grand Challenges. Mm-hmm. They had just come off the heels of the 2004 Desert Challenge, where the winner was the vehicle that made it about seven miles of a 100-mile course on a hill on fire. That was the winner. Uh, To the 2005 competition, where Stanford famously crossed the finish line first. And so in 2007, DARPA had scheduled the Urban Challenge, which was to, to say, let's do it for real now. Now there's going to be other cars moving around on the road. It's going to be in a city. There's going to be stop signs, parking, and most importantly, other cars that move. On both the 2004 and 2005 challenges, the two earlier ones, you were on a road by yourself. You just right. basically don't, don't run into a, a boulder and you'll be okay. So MIT formed a team and we entered this. We built a, an amazing vehicle. And uh, we ended up coming in fourth place, which was which was a fantastic position for the, the a rookie team. It was about on the heels of that that Google got started. So they hired a bunch of people out of Stanford and CMU's team. And then I graduated and I went off and became a faculty member here at the University of Michigan. And so in the meantime, there was all this background activity of of people creating companies, joining Google, uh, Uber building up their team. And uh, that ultimately led to me working with Ford on their autonomous vehicle program. So in the early days of the Ford autonomous vehicle program, they wanted to basically do a brain transplant from some of the autonomous robot work that we'd done in our University of Michigan lab into their program. And so for a long time, we were deeply involved in that project. Then Toyota Research Institute came into being. So uh, they were looking to build a a high-tech, Silicon Valley-style technology research research group. And they hired myself and Ryan Eustace 
to lead the Ann Arbor group. And so that was that was a, the next iteration of let's build these vehicles for real. Okay. Cool. Well, so maybe we want to, you know, um, have you educate our audience a little bit because we're obviously, as an organization, heavily involved in the development of the American Center for Mobility out of Willow Run and uh, worrying about uh, what um, what position our community has with these technologies is a is a is an economic uh, sort of imperative. So when we, we talk a lot about connected and autonomous vehicles, and I guess what I'd like to explore with you in the next two questions are, now stepping back from what you're doing, what, what, what is the biggest challenge that you, you feel is facing um, the, the full development of autonomous vehicles and their deployment and acceptance uh, as, as a, a transportation uh, alternative? A lot of people talk about how bad human drivers are, and it's not really an answer to your question, but it, the story starts here. I think fundamentally the greatest challenge to autonomous cars is that that's not true. That's right. Humans are amazingly good drivers. We drive 100 million miles between fatalities, which is a level of performance that no autonomous car is anywhere near. And so implicitly within all the autonomous vehicle uh, companies and efforts, Safety is still one of the things that is always touted, and so we're creating for ourselves this barrier that we need to match or exceed human-level performance, mm -hmm. and that bar is really high. Yep. That, I see, is the fundamental challenge to autonomous cars. Our company is trying to basically cheat that system. We're not trying to build autonomous cars that can do everything that a human can do. We're trying to carve away most of the hard parts and focus on a very limited repertoire of capabilities things that we can do at that nine nines level of reliability. And that's fundamentally what May Mobility is about. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very good, yeah, I mean, that's the thing in the number of conferences that I have the opportunity to participate in um, where I'm a layman in, the, in that environment and I hear a lot of people with the, the type of background and expertise that you have and that's one of the things that they do say repeatedly. I think the other one that um, I've heard recently is that if we, as we move forward with this technology, we're actually talking about deploying it with very, in an environment of very experienced drivers. And we know that from the, the statistical um, data surveys that millennials are less likely to get their license than any generation that we've experienced since cars started, since we first had the first automobile. And so that one of the things that I've heard is a worry is, well, once we have these vehicles, um, with people that have limited experience in, in taking over, if you will, um, what, is there a need for minimal level of training for people about that? Because with the car, if the, the autonomous vehicle just stops or does something that it's not supposed to do off program, how are you gonna deal with that? So it's an interesting nuance to the problem. Yeah, it's something we've thought a fair amount about. A lot of systems right now that are you know, at the edge of becoming commercially available. These are driver assistance systems that will take over the driving task except when something interesting happens. And they create essentially the, 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 the situation where you don't do anything until something bad happens right, and exactly. then you're supposed to suddenly intervene in the vehicle right. and execute a high performance driving move. Yes. I think the, the best scenario, the best way to describe this is, you know, we, we are good drivers in part because we drive so much. We have a, an excellent kinesthetic sense for how the vehicle responds. When you get into a rental car 
and the first few minutes, the brake feels funny, the gas feels funny, you don't know where the signals are. That's basically what the vehicle is going to feel like when one of these driver assistance cars asks for help because you haven't actually touched right. the controls right. in the last right. three weeks. Right. right. And, and in fact, the reality of, of the, uh, we're, not, we're, not, we're not trying to be Debbie Downers here because we, we think that the, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with you that the technology, if you carve out certain problems, it will be incredibly helpful. Um, if you say, for example, um, accessibility for populations that um, right now have a great difficulty getting to transit, or, or even elderly populations, uh, that mo their mobility is reduced once they really don't feel capable enough of driving, right? So there's, there's great promise for this, but one of the reasons why we thought uh, and, and pursued um, the Willow Run project was we thought, uh, unlike some, that, oh, these technologies were going to be adopted in the next five years, that there was going to be a significant period of time of a lot of development and a lot of testing and a lot of, of checking, if you will, and public acceptance that will have to come from, from that, all that. So I think there are part, parts of that that are true. I think for us to see full uh, autonomous cars in every market segment, that really is that long road. Yeah. I think when we, what we're likely to see are companies like ours finding niches where the technology works now and starting to learn about some, some of the customer acceptance factors as soon as possible. We were in Detroit two weeks ago uh, building, uh, deploying our, our vehicles. And one of the things that we got, much more valuable than any of the technical data, was the customer feedback mm -hmm. data. 200 people for that for the first time that I'm aware of in the United States, that people going around their ordinary lives found an autonomous vehicle on their ride home. These aren't people who picked, who signed up for a pilot or pressed the autonomous vehicle button on the Uber app or worked for the company that was making it. These are people who, who went to work, spent, put in their eight to 10 hours, came out the other end, and where they usually had a parking shuttle, there was one of our vehicles. And so we got a cross section of the world that no autonomous vehicle company has ever captured mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly valuable data. We learned an enormous amount. Even from day one to day two, we were able to improve the rider evaluation significantly. Was there a big takeaway from that experiment that you could share? Yeah, so one of the, the things that we had done, we, we, we as engineers had, have ridden in the car a lot. We're very comfortable with the vehicle. And essentially there's a knob in the software that says, how fast should the vehicle go? How hard should it accelerate? And we had set that based on our experience of having been very comfortable with the car. Day one of the pilot, we got a bunch of feedback, largely, dominantly positive. Sure. However, there was a, a mode of, of, you know, it was a little fast around the corners. So how, how would we know that except to put real people in the car? So we were able to fix that. We dialed the knob down, mm -hmm. and and those those okay. those comments right. disappeared in days two through five. Well, we talked a, you talked a lot about big challenges. Maybe we've also touched on that question that we had here that we want to engage in on misperception. Any other things that you'd like to share that you think is a either a, a, a challenge uh, that you haven't talked about or a misperception that you've talked. About? I think the regulatory environment is, is a pretty interesting problem for companies like ours. We are practically limited uh, to about four to five states in terms of where we can operate, just because of the local, local regulations. Uh, I think one thing we have going for us being in Southeast Michigan is that Michigan actually is extremely 
friendly to yes. autonomous vehicle companies. And in particular, friendly also to small companies in the AV space. That's, that's something that we're very much on the lookout for. The larger companies, of course, are always looking out for their own interests, and they tend to write legislation which can be uh, mm -hmm. friendly to them yes. and less friendly to, to uh, upstart companies like right. our own. So I guess one thing I, I would just generally add is that Southeast Michigan has been a fantastic place for us to grow this business. Oh, great. So um, let's close out. You are hiring. Like, what is it you're looking for? What's, uh, what's the kind of candidates that are a good fit for the company? Uh, is there a particular uh, profile? Uh, is there a particular cultural norm that you're looking for and the kind of people that you want to bring into the company? Yeah, so we have a, a set of corporate values, and I know everybody has that. It's almost cliche. But it really does capture the kinds of people that do well at May. They tend to be detail-oriented, people who really think about every little aspect, because that's important for safety. Mm -hmm. One small mistake can actually lead to a safety issue. But also the small touches that are going to make a rider happy or smile, that are going to ease some of the tension of a first-time apprehensive rider in an autonomous vehicle. So detail-orientedness is really important. Another one is system-wide thinking. So we take a lot of pride in the fact that we don't have a motion planning group and a perception group and a sales team. We have people who have specialties in each of those areas, but the whole team is very integrated. We've got the people building the cars are talking to the business people to make sure that the business plan and our technological approach makes sense in conjunction with mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. So specifically, we're always looking for technical people. Uh, particularly software engineers that are experienced writing large software systems in C. But we're also looking for field application engineers, people who are a little more customer facing, or uh, sales people, or customer success, uh, customer success experts. Very good. Well, we want to thank you for talking with us. We'll probably bring you back at some point in the future so we can get an update on uh, May's progress. Um, it sounds very uh, sounds very promising, and uh, congratulate you on your success so far. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. For more information about Annabur Spark, you can find us on the web at annaburusa.org or also on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. For more information about May Mobility, it's very simple month of May Mobility.com. Thank you for listening to Conversations on Economic Opportunity. We hope you'll like and share the content you heard today. For additional podcasts and information about Spark, visit annarborusa.org.